Welcome to Award Winners. I'm John, joined by my co-host, who exfils hot dogs from Skyline in his stomach, David. This is a night at the Oscars, where we watch Oscar-winning movies while enjoying Oscar Meyer Wieners. It's a celebration of American culinary and cinematic pop culture. In this episode, we discuss a tension-filled real-life rescue operation carried out by a U.S. government-backed film company front in the movie Argo, winner of the 2012 Oscar for Best Picture. Dave, what's going on? Do you need to describe what Skyline is for our audience? Possibly. Do you want to describe Skyline? Skyline is a Cincinnati chain, and it's essentially a chili parlor. So you can get a cheese coney. Cincinnati chili is like a super meaty, spiced chili, like chocolate and cinnamon. Some people love it. I think a lot of people not born in Cincinnati would absolutely hate it. I... Don't mind it, but it's not a go-to for me. You're like the native son of Cincinnati. I feel like you have to like it. I think you're responsible to like it. I am responsible for it. I think the innovation with Skyline, the innovation is they put their chili on spaghetti. (laughs) And so I do that with any type of chili I, I make. I don't exclusively make Cincinnati chili, but I make vegetarian chili, put it on spaghetti. I love it. Highly recommend it. I do not do that. <laughs> Lame. Lame. I'm not a fan. And I do not do that. I do not mind the cheese coney, but that's that's about where that ends. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I totally get it. A lot of people think it's disgusting. Does uh, What does your girlfriend, who is an East Coaster, think of Skyline Chili? She loves it. She loves the chili yeah. over spaghetti, actually. That's like the thing she really, really likes. I don't know if I could talk Erin into doing that. She's from New Jersey, and I think it's like... You might offend people to the point of a physical fight if you tried to do that in front of them and it wasn't like a red sauce. What? Why? Like, I don't understand. It's like a big Italian influence in New Jersey, and I feel like that would be a sacrilege to them to put that on their pasta. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Jersey, do your thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so what else is going on, Dave? I feel like we haven't been together in this capacity in more than a minute. Yeah, yeah. So we we took another hiatus. Well, yeah, not unintentionally. Unintentionally. Unintentionally hiatus. And it's really on my end. A couple of things are going on in my life. Having some health issues, personal health issues, and my family are having health issues. Additionally, my job has been really difficult. And to be fair, anyone who works in e-commerce or retail are having a really difficult time right now because of the economy is just really, really poor. So I've been working a lot having health issues, and spending a lot of time driving to Cincinnati to help with my family. Yeah, that's no fun. No, no fun. No fun. So it means less time to do movies. Or actually, you know what it means, John? It means like I just didn't have the mental capacity to work on these projects because they're really time intense. For like this episode alone, I probably watched 16 hours of film and then read for another four or five. And I also read the the book that Argo is based on. Um, oh, well, again, did you watch the Canadian? No, that's the one thing I didn't do. So I'm going to let you take <laughs> that. And and just so I'm specific here, not the book Argo is based on the book. The script Argo is based on. <laughs> yeah, which I would love to talk about. Actually, it's great. Yeah, well, let, let's get to that in a second. Um, or we can skip right into that. Do you want to well, just dive into the movie? 
Well, what, what, I want to know what's going on with you. I mean, not too much. I think work has just been busy. We've just been doing a lot of like 10 to 12 hour days. I don't really have the desire to watch a movie at the end of that. It seems like a lot of time to dedicate to something is like sitting in front of the TV for these reviews. We need to focus on the movie. I, I don't find myself wanting to sit in front of the TV and focus solely on what's on the screen. So it's been difficult. I would say like I, I've seen many of the movies that this movie went up against before. And usually I try to rewatch them again, but I did not have the desire to do that. I don't know if it's where everyone's at or maybe it's just me. I just like have a hard time sitting in front of the TV at this moment in time. I mean, and, it's, and it's dedicating my attention to it. Yeah. It is definitely screen fatigue. That's what I'm having in. Like what I can do basically is watch a couple short YouTube videos and it's like, I'm gone. I'm checking out. <laughs> going to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Those are like snacks, if you will. If, uh, if a movie's like a full size meal, like a four course meal, five course meal, a YouTube video that's like three minutes long is a little snack. And I can do a little snack, but I do not want to invest in the time that's needed for like a five course meal. All that being said, John, are there any movies you've seen recently that you actually want to talk about? Like anything you've seen on the weekend? I saw Black Panther, which I thought was pretty good. Chadwick Boseman passed away maybe two or three years ago. I thought they did a good job of managing that in the movie. I don't want to say much more, but I but I thought it was good. I, I'm still enjoying the Marvel movies. I wasn't quite sure I would. I wasn't sure if like we've had enough fatigue and how they were going to handle this, but I thought it all went really well. Uh, have you seen that movie? I haven't. And just to be clear, you're talking about uh, Black Panther Wakanda forever. Yes. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I, I do want to see it. I'm very burned out on superhero. I'm going to, I'm not consuming all the superhero content. I can't keep up. Dave, one could say that this is another Ben Affleck superhero movie. <laughs> That's true. It's third. So I, I'm like you sort of consuming shorter movies, like like 90 minutes is where I really like it. And if it's the weekend and it's something I'm excited about, I'll go watch it. So I actually saw Deadstream on Shudder. It's a movie about a obnoxious YouTuber who goes and stays in a haunted house. And the one rule he has is he has to investigate anything that makes a noise. It's very funny, very reminiscent, reminiscent of Evil Dead 2. Highly recommend. Nice. So you've been enjoying your horror movies. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did rewatch the recently the original Star Wars trilogy and the prequels, and I haven't done that in I don't know how long. Oh, I, I've been watching Andor. I don't did you watch that? Nope. I actually really liked it. I watched the first episode maybe two months ago and thought it was kind of boring. But someone talked me into giving it another episode or two, and I really liked it. Yeah, everyone loves it. It's on my radar, but again, I got I got very little time, and it's probably not going to be that. I won't have more time until the spring-ish with everything happening in my my family. I've uh, I've been trying to go through the Hobbit extended editions, and I get maybe twenty minutes at a time. So I'm still on the first movie. <laughs> I'm like an uh, hour the and Hobbit. into it. Not not the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit. I was like, I should give it another chance. I don't think I ever watched the extended edition. I remember thinking it was pretty mediocre at the time. I still feel it drags a bit, but I'm gonna see if I can do it and just go through it again. Just just so I understand, John. Mm-hmm. you're watching the extended cut of a trilogy based on a 200 page book. Yes. 
Okay. And, okay. And uh, I remember, I think in the third movie or the second movie, I can't remember which one I was watching in the theater, the fire alarm went off and they had to evacuate. And there's probably 40 minutes left. And I just said, fuck it. <laughs> I'm leaving. I don't care. <laughs> really funny. I mean, you just miss smog flying out. Yeah, so I'm going to give it a shot. We'll see how it goes. It's been fine. It's been fine. Actually, I I watched the Lord of the Rings series again not too long ago either as like a preparation for this. Looking back, I really don't like some of Peter Jackson's film style for that movie. Really? Uh, Interesting. It's like non-cinematic. Like he, I I would say he's like cheap parlor tricks for of cinema. Um, I I love this. Isn't necessarily bad, but if you watch it again, you'll be like, "Eh," you know, like they're. I would just I wasn't into the cinematography. I felt it should have been more visually stunning, and it maybe came up short. Well, that's not what's happening over in the world of. Uh, well, I guess it is what's happening over in the world of Prime with uh, Lord of the Rings prequel stuff. Uh, super mediocre plot, mediocre mediocre acting, but damn, does it look good? <laughs> yeah, I'll have to go back. I, I've actually had that on in the background uh, when I was doing things, and, and probably through four or five episodes but I literally have paid zero attention and not watched the screen at all. So I have no concept as to how it looks. Uh, so. <laughs> it looks really good, but the plot and everything else is like real shaky. Anything else, Dave, movie-wise that you wanted to bring up? Nope, we're, we're getting into award season. So just everyone keep your uh, eyes open. Uh, this is my predictor for the season. I'm really thinking that Top Gun Maverick is going to walk away with number one. Um, I think that's an outside shot. You say that's like a sidewinder. It's sidewinder. <laughs> that's funny. It's not to say that Top Gun is my favorite movie of the year, but I am rooting for it to win Best Picture. I have no concept of what's been in the theater or what's been out. I've kind of just not been paying attention to that. So it'll be interesting to see when that list finally comes out. Probably next month, right? I think so. I can't remember because I think it's still in March, the, the next ceremony. They give us a couple months to kind of try to catch up on everything so that we can make decisions. Yeah. Some of the movies that we know that are going to be nominated aren't even out in theater yet. They come out this week. Yeah. So I'm assuming probably January. You mean Avatar 2? And Babylon. I'm I'm 100% going to see Avatar 2. Like I'm- so Avatar is awesome in the theater because of the visuals. 3D was really cool at the time. Apparently, it's even better now. I'm actually kind of excited to see that in the theater. I don't particularly care about the cast of characters or really what even happens. I think you're just going to go for the visual experience. I'll see it once. If it's so cool that I have to see it again, I'll consider it. Like as a franchise, I kind of don't care. I think that's actually true for most people. There's like the cultural impact of Avatar is nothing. I mean, I don't I don't agree with that. You think there's a big cultural impact from the movie Avatar? I think there's a technological impact that has carried through. Like we wouldn't have Marvel without Avatar. I don't think that's true. I, I mean, James Cameron created the technology that Marvel uses, the CGI. I hear what you're saying, but I'm not sure I would call that like a, a cultural impact. I would say, John, that everyone talked about Avatar for the last 10 years, but they've only put it in the context of this conversation we're having. It's true because we largely forgot about one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Do you ever go back and be like, yeah, you know what I really want to watch today? Avatar. I mean, I have watched it multiple times, but I'm not going to watch it once a year. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I think I've seen it twice. I saw it 
There was another movie that it went up against, and I think we did that other movie. I forget what it was for Best Picture, and I watched Avatar again. I was like, yeah, it's fine. You have to see it in the theater, though. Yeah. If you don't see it in the theater, you're missing. You're missing out on all the experience. And didn't, I mean, Avatar, Avatar also kicked off the 3D explosion for like five years. Yeah, but that like kind of faded a bit. Although I still go see movies in 3D. I saw Black Panther in 3D. I saw Doctor Strange in 3D, I think. Like, I don't mind a, a 3D movie, really. I think some people have strong opinions against it. I don't mind a 3D movie. They typically hurt my eyes. Like I get eye strain mm-hmm. from watching them, so I don't I don't do it all the time. Because of that, I guess I'm kind of glad it's gone. Because <laughs> it just it hurts my eyes too much. So you're going to go see Avatar in 3D or no? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, if the technology has gotten better and the glasses have gotten better, I think I would go see it in 3D. But I'm really worried about a three-hour movie and eye strain. So I might just see it regular. This is a movie that I probably should see it in 3D, right? I would think so. I mean, that that would be the draw. If I don't see it in 3D, I'll just wait for it to hit Disney+. Plus. If I go and I sit for an hour and a half and my eyes are bleeding, <laughs> I guess I'll just leave. <laughs> I don't know what to say. No, Dave, you'll say, I see you. <laughs> oh, I hate you ready to get into this? So we're talking about the 2012 movie Argo. Dave, how would you describe this movie? A CIA agent comes up with a ludicrous plan to save six Americans, and it's so crazy it works. It's this so audacious, you just can't believe it. So it's the true story of the 1979 Iranian hostage situation where six U.S. embassy workers were hiding out in Tehran, and the CIA helped them escape an extremist regime. It's kind of fun. And that's why it was made. <laughs> it's a good story. Most people didn't know of the story until many years later because it it was held secret until the late 90s, I think. Yeah, I think so. 1997 or 1998. What's your general relationship with this movie? Like, Did you see it in a theater? Did you not see it in a theater? Were you excited about it? I do not remember if I saw this in the theater or not. I do remember seeing it not long after it came out. I remember thinking it was totally fine. I think I largely forgot about it. Kind of like Avatar. It's not like a movie. I'm like, hey, it's Christmas time. Let's watch Argo. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, there's like a cultural touchstone every year. Where I'm like, it's Argo time. <laughs> I hope you start yelling that. It's Argo time. <laughs> I think it actually happened at like the end of 1979. So we could say like every November we, we're going to watch Argo. <laughs> no, November 1st, 4th. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Like, when did you first see this? I saw it in the theater, if not opening week, the second week. I My mother and I went. I had a break for some reason, and I was like, okay, you want to go to the movies, Mom? I'll take you to the movies. And we went and watched this movie. We both really liked it. I remember thinking it was awesome when I saw it at the theater. So getting into some of the movie facts, it was released on October 12th, 2012. So that's about 10 years ago. It doesn't feel like 10 years. It feels like longer, in my opinion, for some weird reason. I don't know why I think that. Does that time seem to have passed quickly for you? Honestly, I was like, this is probably like 2014. <laughs> oh, really? I was like, this is like 2008. But no, it's not. It's like much later. Skimming through some of these facts here. So the runtime is 120 minutes. There is an extended edition that adds nine more minutes. I've watched both. And honestly, I don't remember what those extra nine minutes were. You know what they were, John? I, I can tell you. Cash grab. <laughs> <laughs> Damn them. They got my $4 or whatever. <laughs> The budget was $44.5 million, and in the box office uh, worldwide, it made $232.3 million. It's a pretty good return on a relatively small budget, directed by Ben Affleck. Dave, you want to talk about the book it was based on? Yeah, so the screenplay was done by, I believe it's Chris Tyrio, 
Uh, he also wrote Batman vs. Superman, Yawn of Justice. What a boring movie. Another Aflac flick. Yeah, another Aflac flick. Based on the book, The Great Escape, how the CIA used a fake sci-fi flick to rescue Americans from Tehran. Again, I have not read that book. I did read The Lord of Light by Rogers and Laney, which the fake script <laughs> was was about. Oh, you read the sci-fi movie that they faked making a movie about. Okay. Yeah. How was that? It's really good. It's it's super complex. I felt lost for the first part of it, but essentially it's about a world where humans are colonizing this world. They found out a way to move their soul into new bodies, so everyone is incredibly long-lived, and the upper class call themselves gods, and then the lower class people actually think they're gods, and it's this one guy who's trying to sort of democratize the entire world, and he's thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. I don't know why it's called Argo. <laughs> Argo, fuck yourself. Yeah, Argo, fuck yourself. I like, I get why it's Argo in the movie. I don't remember it being related to anything in the uh, book. Anyway, it's a really cool book. Won a bunch of awards. Check out the author. One thing I would say, it is not a Star Wars ripoff. In the movie, they kept and they portray it as a Star Wars ripoff. This book came out before Star Wars. Star Wars ripped off a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I love that first movie, but... It's a lot of credit for things that other people have did. I think what they were saying is they're trying to capitalize on the sci-fi boom at the time because Star yeah. Wars came out a few years before this in Hollywood. It would have made sense to try to come up with like another Star Wars ripoff. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. yeah. This movie went up against a more Beasts of the Southern Wild, Django Unchained, Les Mis, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, and Zero Dark Thirty. Dave, any thoughts on these movies? So I've seen all of them other than Amore and Les Mis. I think this is generally a pretty strong year. Mm-hmm. The one that surprised me with my rewatch was Life of Pi. I ended up liking it way more than I thought I would. It's on Disney Plus, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was all right. I, I didn't see it in the theater. That's one of the ones that I wish I would have seen in the theater because I heard that was another, I think it was another one of those like 3D movies that people are like, you got to see this one in 3D in the theater. I ended up uh, watching Silver Linings Playbook for the first time, which was really funny. I understand why people love that now. And then I also watched Zero Dark Thirty for the... That movie's okay. It's not my favorite movie, but I am really impressed that they like got this thing up and running in less than a Eight, year. 18 months. 18 yeah, months. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. Very impressive. What about you? Any of these movies you, you like? So I think I've seen all of them, except I could not finish Les Mis. I started that. I watched maybe 30 minutes of it and was like, fuck this movie. I cannot finish this. This is so awful. And that's maybe unfortunate. Maybe I should have stuck with it. But basically, when Russell Crowe comes on and starts singing, I'm just like, I'm out. It's not good. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> it's not rockable. I just, I couldn't do it. I, I actually, I've never seen the play Les Mis or the musical, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I just did not particularly like this one. Yeah, I, I would say a lot of these movies are good. If I were to rank some of the ones higher than others, I actually, I like Django Unchained a lot. I think it's kind of a, a fun movie, a solid year. And I see you've got some other movies that came out this year. It's tough to go up against some of these. I went and looked at what the general film community thinks were uh, snubbed movies so The Master is one. I've never seen it, so I, I can't comment on that. Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes, I've seen that. That's a weird movie. Okay, yeah, that's about the Dianetics guy. Um, L. Ron Hubbard? Yeah, it's creepy. I'm not really into that one, but it's it's <laughs> interesting, yeah. 
the community was also really adamant that Moonrise Kingdom didn't make it. Again, I haven't seen that movie either, so I can't comment. You should watch that. You would like that. It, I'd say standard fare for Wes Anderson. So if you're into the Wes Anderson movies, you'll like that one. And then my personal one, because I was like, well, I have to recommend something that you know I've actually seen. I really loved Magic Mike. I have not seen that. Give it an Oscar nod. <laughs> so maybe I'll have to check that out on your recommendation there, Dave. Yeah. Okay. And here are some movies that just came out this year that she should know of. The Dark Knight Rises, The Hunger Games, Dread, which we covered and both really like. There's there's rumors of a Dread 2 happening. Looper, which is like a, a well-beloved movie in the sci-fi community. And John, can you guess what the top grossing movie was for 2012? Is it one of the movies that we've already talked about or is it something it's else? It's not. You you know this. Just Just think a little bit. 2012. Did Iron Man 3 come out this year or is it The Hobbit? Uh, actually, now now that I'm thinking about it, did the did the Avengers come out? Did Avengers come out this year? Yes, that is. That, that's that's going to be my guess then. It's the top grossing movie. I knew if you just thought about it a little bit, you would figure it out. Yeah, and then I think an underrated movie from this year is The Gray with Liam Neeson, Punch and Wolves. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. That was all right. <laughs> I'm excited for another Dread movie if that happens. Yeah, same. Carl Urban is. I believe in talks again, like I haven't, I can't remember the article fully. I saw an article from one of those random sites. Like here's the newsfeed thing for you. And then the site is like movie snitch player com, And I'm like, I don't know about the source. Here. <laughs> it's, it's probably real. That's not what it was. I don't remember what it was, but I was like, yeah, I don't know how legitimate this site is, but I would be super excited to see that happen. I heard a rumor that Amazon might have like a dread TV show. Also fine with that. All right. So red carpet. If you're a first time listener, you should know that we eat movie themed hot dogs while watching these movies. David has your hot dog dressed on the red carpet this evening. I hope that it's doing okay. <laughs> I think it's going to be an ugly hot dog. Okay. So I didn't have time to make a recipe. To be honest, I think my doctors would hunt me down if I actually ate the recipe I did come up. Okay. So here's what I was thinking. You wrap a hot dog in Canadian bacon, top it with poutine. So fries, cheese curds, and gravy. I could see that being pretty good. It's probably great, but you know, a lot of cholesterol. (laughs) The idea behind it was, let's hide something American with Canadian stuff. I also toyed with putting ranch dressing on the the bottom layer like underneath the bun uh, and then i was like this is disgusting i'm not trying like even in my imagination i'm not gonna do this yeah no i i don't think anyone should eat that that's not a <laughs> that's like a five thousand calorie meal i mean someone can do it if you do it you make this recipe please let us know i'm really interested in it uh i'm not going to eat it <laughs> yeah that's a dave original for sure what do you make i just I really haven't had time to do much of anything but i did find an Iranian hot dog. It's made with with beef because pork is not halal, so we wouldn't be eating pork in Iran. There is a hot dog called I'm going to mispronounce this Sosi Bandari. It's like a curry hot dog. Um, I think they basically like simmer down some kind of tomato sauce, add a couple curries into it, dice some garlic, pepper, and turmeric in there, and then just throw it all in a hot dog bun. I would actually try this. I feel like I should do that once I have a minute. It sounds awesome to me. Yeah, I definitely want to try this. So this is a Persian hot dog. So, Dave, you want to give us some actor facts? We're going to start with Ben Affleck. He is the CIA agent Tony Mendez in this movie. So you will know Ben Affleck from basically everything for the last 30 years. 
he's in Days and Confused, Good Will Hunting, Gone Girl, Armageddon, Shakespeare in Love, which is a movie we will have to cover. He's Batman in the DCU or whatever they're calling it now. For me, I feel like Ben Affleck has been a star for so long that it's sort of unnecessary to talk about him. Like, doesn't everyone know who he is? In case you don't, which would be really surprising, he was a popular young actor in the 90s. He had a career slump that coincided with him dating Jennifer Lopez. They broke up, had to orchestrate a career comeback and that shape as a director. So essentially, he went from a frat bro persona to an artist uh, who was widely respected, but he's also still widely mocked. Do you have any comments there? He and Matt Damon, they're like your go-to Bostonians. <laughs> they are. They're absolutely yeah, it's like, Bostonian. we need a Boston something. Great. Hire one of those guys. Yeah. He's a freaking collaborator with Kevin Smith and actor Matt Damon. Matt Damon and Ben have been friends you know, since childhood. So Affleck and Damon won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for Goodwill Hunting. Affleck was 25 at the time. That makes him one of the youngest people to ever won the award. And then finally, I, I kind of think it's really worth noting that Ben Affleck is an alcoholic and has gone through treatment several times. I point this out because I think it's commendable. Probably shouldn't mock someone who has a tendency to consume alcohol to deal with his depressive tendencies. <laughs> I'm always sympathetic to Ben Affleck. Why do you feel he was picked on? Because he had a bunch of like high profile romantic relationships in the 90s? No, he just had a bunch of bad movies that come out that coincided with him being a tabloid playboy. He dated Jennifer Affleck for what, five years? Jennifer Lopez? Jennifer Affleck. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. She's the duck in the Affleck commercials. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're married now, so screw everyone then. Yeah, that's true. I also kind of feel bad for Ben Affleck because I've read a lot about him and they're like, people are like, this dude is incredibly smart and people think he's a bro. He did do a lot of bro movies, so I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't have a strong opinion on Ben Affleck at all, really. What about you? Like, do you have a, an opinion on Ben Affleck? I don't have a reaction when I hear the name Ben Affleck. Yeah, I generally like Ben Affleck, and I think he is a good director, and I think he can be a good actor if given the right role. That's not denying that he had some huge stinkers. We're, we're talking like... Well, Pearl Harbor... Yeah, that's 2001. Jersey Girl. Yeah. Actually, I don't find Jersey Girl to be a bad movie. Giggly? Jiggly? Jiggly? Yeah, I haven't seen I, I haven't seen that one. He had a, like a, a bunch of movies that just weren't good. <laughs> Generally, I have positive thoughts towards Ben Affleck. And then we have Alan Arkin. You want to give us a little more on, on Alan? Yeah, so Alan Arkin plays Lester Siege, and he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He was in The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, Catch-22, He's in Edward Scissorhands, Little Miss Sunshine, and I have no recollection of him being in The Rocketeer. He was the other guy in The Rocketeer. There was The Rocketeer, and then there was his like engineering flight buddy, and that's Alan Arkin. I have to rewatch that. Um, I did want to note that he was in a movie called The Return of Captain Invincible, a superhero musical comedy with Christopher Lee. I'm excited to watch it for Bad Movie Night, and I will let everyone know if it's a good bad movie or a bad bad movie, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Additional stuff. Uh, he's had a six-decade-long career on the stage and screen, spanning genres and mediums. He was the lead singer of for a folk group called the Terriers in the 1950s, and they had an international hit for the Banana Boat song, <laughs> otherwise known as Deo. <laughs> and it came out the same year that Harry Belafonte released his version. 
of Deo. Uh, that is amazing. <laughs> I amazing. did not know that. We have some production facts here, Dave. I think you've got a couple things lined up here. I have two just short production facts for everyone. Um, the first is, is that Jimmy Carter did comment on this movie. And he said, let me say, first of all, it's a great drama, and I hope it gets the Academy Award for Best Film because I think it deserves it. The other thing that I would say was that 90% of the contributions to the ideas in the consummation of the plan was Canadian. And the movie gives almost full credit to the American CIA. With that exception, the movie is very good. So I included this just to, just to reiterate for this movie, the Canadians were heavily, heavily, heavily involved, much more so than you think. There is the Canadian movie. I forget what it's called, but you can find it on YouTube. It came out in the 80s. I actually only got through about 10 minutes of it. It's like, a, I would say, a BBC Five <laughs> a <little> high. quality <laughs> movie. Yeah, it's like made with no budget and it's pretty terrible. And the quality is really bad because it's on YouTube. I thought you actually watched it. I was going to be no. shocked because it looked long. <laughs> yeah, I got through 10 minutes and was just like, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> cool. Well, anyway, that I think it's a cool quote. Um, so Lester Siegel. And that was the character played by Alan Arkin is a composite character with a lot of the performance coming from Jack Warner, real life Jack Warner. Um, and then makeup artist Robert Seidel posed as the film's fake producer. That's like the fun part. And we'll get into how that all plays out in the movie in a few minutes. And so, John, you have some historical context you would put into this? I think some of this comes from the movie and some of this I was just like looking at some other articles to see what happened. The movie is heavily dramatized to make it more exciting. So in the 1950s, an authoritarian U.S.-backed regime in Iran overthrew a democratically elected government. And the democratically elected government wanted to bring all in-country oil production under its oversight, keeping out more wealthy countries, basically Western corporations in the U.S. and Britain. So the coup that the U.S. backed installed a brutal dictator who took all the oil money, lived lavishly, and oppressed his people. So 29 years later... Religious and paramilitary groups, disparate groups, basically banded together to force the secular leadership into exile. So you can think of it as like right-wing extremists taking over the country because they're fed up with everything. I understand why they felt that way. The exiled Shah went to the U.S. for cancer treatment and was granted asylum to stay because basically his government collapsed. On the siege that happened at the embassy, a large group of Iranian students had organized the storming of the U.S. embassy. So initially, it was just going to be a sit-in with plans to release the hostages when local law enforcement showed up. But the situation escalated quickly when U.S. guards started brandishing weapons, and it became clear to the people storming that they were not going to use the weapons. And then additional groups joined in and took the embassy staffers hostage. So those were probably more of the right-wing extremists. After that, Iran took a hard right into religious conservatism, removing women's rights and forcing everyone to live under Sharia law. Today in Iran, you can actually see that this is sort of still in place. There's some anti-American religious fundamentalists, but there was a recent death of a young woman at the hands of the Iranian moral police, and we're starting to see the women of Iran force some changes. So no longer wearing head coverings, Hopefully getting more rights back. The right to drive, I saw, is one thing. Maybe there is some change happening in the country. just happens to coincide with this movie. That was not planned. We did not pick it for that reason, but that happens to be going on right now. Those women are incredibly brave. And I, I want to reiterate something. We are not experts on this, and this is incredibly complicated. Like, I read multiple articles, and I'm like, I still only kind of get it. Yeah, yeah. 
we'll get into the movie reek. Dave and I found a couple articles that tried to piece together some of what really happened too. So maybe we'll intersperse that with the conversation that we have here about the movie. The movie is like really straightforward. So we're just going to go into kind of a quick recap and then we'll talk about things that we liked and disliked and maybe what we would have done a little differently. So I think we've already discussed this a little bit. November 4th, 1979, in retaliation for the U.S. giving the Shah asylum, and that was the leadership that the Iranians uh, ousted. Iranian Islamists stormed the U.S. embassy in Tehran, and this is how the movie portrays this anyway, taking the embassy staff hostage. However, during the chaos, six staffers escaped, and they took refuge in the Canadian ambassador's home. In real life, uh, other staffers escaped too. They were all rounded up. Another note on this, they're actually the Canadian ambassador's residence and then another house of another Canadian. Three lived at one place and three lived at another. I think eventually they came to the same house, but they were not all in one location from the get-go. 69 days later, the Canadian government tells the U.S. government it needs to extract its people because there's a lot of scrutiny and the Canadians are worried. Essentially, the noose is tightening around everyone in, in the country. To help do the CIA agent and exfiltration specialist, Tony Mendez, and this is Ben Affleck's character, is asked to review a proposed exfiltration plan. It's not good. They were going to give him bicycles and tell them to ride 200 miles through some mountains to the border. Later that night, while Mendez is watching a movie at his hotel, inspiration strikes. His plan is to create a cover story where the staffers who are in hiding are actually Canadian filmmakers scouting a location in Iran for a movie. The Department of State reviews the idea and is very skeptical of it. You don't have a better bad idea than this? This is the best bad idea we have, sir. By far. The United States government has just sanctioned your science fiction movie. Mendez recruits a, a team in Hollywood to help sell the idea. He's got makeup artist John Chambers, played by John Goodman, and a movie producer Lester Siegel, and that's Alan Arkin. Together they produce a script for Argo. And this is the book that Dave talked about, a fantasy sci-fi epic. They stage a PR stunt to give the production more legitimacy and get the Hollywood press to start writing about it. And then Tony heads to Iran under the guise of being a film producer to get the staffers out. And this is just an aside. There's a scene in there with a storyboard artist. That's actually supposed to be legendary comic artist Jack Kirby. He actually did the storyboard art for this movie. This guy, Jack Kirby, he created Captain America, Black Panther, Thor, Hulk, Iron Man, the X-Men, and about 200 other well-known Marvel characters and even some DC characters. I don't know if you have any you want to throw on that list, Dave. Nope, you got the big ones. Uh, it, it was... How dare you not say the Fantastic Four, Dave? I don't care. Oh, yeah, Fantastic <laughs> Four. Well, stop trying to make Fantastic Four happen. <laughs> Too late. And so, predictably, uh, Tony gets there, runs into complications. Guess what? gets them out in a thrilling chase scene. <laughs> this is very, very straightforward. He's awarded uh, the Intelligent Star, which is the highest medal the CIA gives, but he had to return it because the, the whole thing was classified. Uh, and then his star was returned to him in yeah, 1997. Right? In terms of just straight caper films, this follows the exact pattern. So if you've seen basically any caper movie, you have seen this movie. No subplots. Nothing. No, nothing. Like, no there's real a, twists. Bears. Yeah. But it does a lot of things well. Yeah, exactly. First off, the general story here is the U.S. government backs a fake film company. They actually buy a real script. The U.S. government owns a real movie script to do this. If you had not seen this movie and someone told you this story in a bar, would you even believe it? 
No, absolutely not. This sounds like an Oceans movie. Like someone's like, okay, instead of having Danny Ocean steal something, we're going to have him get out people instead. (laughs) It's pretty crazy. Unbelievable almost, but it really happened. I guess just to add a little detail to that plan. So Ben Affleck's character shows up. They make some fake passports saying that the people who are hiding out in the Canadian residency are actually Canadians. They fake the passport stamps to show that they've entered the country with Ben Affleck, and then they all leave together, faking their way out. I don't know if you could do that today, just because there's too many digital records. Like, you just couldn't get away with it. This was in a a day of paper records and analog communication. What are the caper movies going to do in the future? Are they going to hire more hackers? (laughs) I don't know. Like, what do you think the plan would be to escape these days? I, I just, I'm not sure how you would do it. But now they just actually take your picture as you board a plane and they know it's you. Great. No, I have you that. seen this? Like, it's like a thing in most airports now when you are boarding a plane, you just walk up to the thing. They're like smiling this camera. I guess we're going to use more boats to escape places. <laughs> <laughs> or bicycles. Maybe that bicycle plan is back on. Yeah. Well, that is a terrible plan. Like, do you want to ride 300 miles in the snow? <laughs> no, like through, the, through the mountains. I'm not in shape to run 300 miles. I ride the bike for like 30 minutes at a time. It's maybe five miles. <laughs> I can't even know. <laughs> and I see you ask, like, what would your plan to be to escape? And I'm going to tell you, honestly, my plan would not to be in a hostile country. Like, I just wouldn't <laughs> go. <laughs> Dave, you just put on a full burqa and pretend you're a yeah. woman and, like, people can't see you. Yeah. And uh, try to like pass off as a woman, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's the best way to get out. <laughs> that sounds like a Mr. Bean movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's happened before. Yeah, I'm sure it does too. Yeah. I think they do this intentionally. I, you know, How do you feel the tones shift from scene to scene in the movie? So the way I, I saw it, I felt the tonal shifts happen based on location. So in America, things are happening the way they always happen. If you're in Hollywood, they're still doing Hollywood things like the Iranian hostage situation, like hardly impacts them in any way. And you kind of see that, you know, they're doing Hollywood meetings, they're going to award shows. It's kind of fun and games. But then when you switch to Iran, you see that the country is in disarray. And then you you switch to other scenes of like them in the Canadian embassy, or even the American hostages who've been already taken. There's tonal shifts between each of those scenes. How did you feel about how they portrayed each of these things. For me, I was thinking a lot about what would this movie would be like if it was more serious? Because it's already very tense. Well, the beginning's tense and the end is tense and the middle is just sort of goofy. And I kind of was yearning for more tension, actually. I like I wanted the stakes to be ratcheted up more and more and more. I think that would have been maybe too tense of a film. I think they broke it up for some of that intentionally. Aaron was sitting next to me as it was on, and she's like, I can't do this. This is too stressful. <laughs> too stressful? She watched horror movies all day. <laughs> Dude, she shouldn't watch horror movies because she gets freaked out at night. I get it. You know, like at a certain point, I think you need to break the tension and have those moments of relief, whether it's comedy or just taking you into Hollywood for a little bit, because I think the tension would be too high it would be too stressful of a watch. And this, I think, alleviates a lot of that, making it easier to absorb. Because it was just like torture scenes of them mock executing the Americans in different ways or uh, the Iranians just like storming through houses and burning things. It wouldn't be fun at all. And I think this interjected some of that humor in a way that I think, again, balances out like the extreme tension that's felt by the people in Iran. 
Do you think this movie could have been played as a comedy? <laughs> no, <laughs> I would not advise it. I would not advise it. What do you think about that? No, absolutely not. But I'm just, I was just like trying to give the, like the yin and yang of it, right? Like I do think there, the comedic elements are needed, but sometimes it's a little too much. But some of the comedy is like real. We're going to ride 300 miles to the border in the mountains. As like, that's our plan for escape. We're going to drop some bicycles off with these white people in a country that doesn't have nearly as many white people and then tell them to ride through the mountains. Like that's comedic in some weird way. Like that was considered the best plan for a while. It's absurd, right? Like, it's, yeah, this is the best our government could do. <laughs> yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Oh. This movie didn't talk about it. They tried to rescue several of the hostages with a helicopter and the helicopter went down and it was like a huge debacle as well. It wasn't that they didn't try to rescue people. They tried to at one point. The mission failed. That's a good lead into our next topic here. Like of the worst bad options <laughs> to get these people out, which one would you prefer? Like, did you want to ride those 300 miles? Do you want to pretend to be English teachers? Do you want to look at crops in the dead of winter? The reality is there weren't really any good plans, but this one worked. You know, like they still had the Canadian embassy operating in the city. And, um, you know, thankfully the Canadians took them in and, and helped them out. I think there was actually another embassy that they were staying at for a short period of time. I think it was the Swedish embassy, like took them in for a little bit. And then they moved over to the Canadian embassy. Yeah, I, I know they something like that happened, but I can't, again, I can't really remember. Um, I was just focused on this movie. <laughs> I didn't want to do a tangent into everything. Here's a question I had for you. Both the what and the how of this. So like, what does the movie do to set the scene for the audience? Uh, and by that, I mean like the politics of the day, uh, the location, and then how does that work for you? I mean, you need all that as background to understand the, the seriousness. It's traditional first act structure. Here's what's happening. Here are the people that are at risk. Here's our protagonist. He's a slob. He, he eats Chinese food out of the, the white paper container. Like, Well, he's, he's living from hotel room to hotel room, too. It's like part of his job. I, it sets it up. Like, I, I fully understood it. It could have been significantly more complicated. And I bet they spent a lot of time trying to trim it down. To be like, these dumb Americans don't know, what, don't know their history, which is true. Uh, <laughs> and so like, boil it down. So at the beginning, they have a recap of mm -hmm. the politics of, of it all, uh, maybe in three or four minutes, like you get some of the history recap we did a minute ago. Did that work for you? Do you feel like that helps set the scene? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it was absolutely necessary. It also sort of sets up some of the tone of the movie because it, well, it doesn't go into things deeply. It does recognize other viewpoints with like one-off lines. It's like, oh, the U.S. did back this. No shit, Iranians would be pissed off. Like, why are we holding on to this guy who was a mass murderer? Like, we could get rid of him. And we basically, like, we created the situation for ourselves by deposing their democratically elected government, destabilizing it, and reinserting uh, a dictator. It's our fault. I think they did some interesting things in the movie related to this. You know, how were the Iranians and the U.S. governments, or even the people, portrayed from both of these countries? I think there were a couple of scenes that stuck out to me, like, one, there's a scene of U.S. citizens attacking Iranian-Americans who really have nothing to do with this. There's some clips in the news of people giving opinions about Iran. They're fairly ignorant opinions, some of them from high school students, which is meant probably more for laughs. And then, you know, like people on the street being like, fuck Iranians, I'm tired of this. I'm an American. I served in the army. We, we flip over to Iran and we see like Iranians also burning effigies of American leaders. Do you feel that was balanced? 
Do you think that helps set the scene? It, it does, but it, it what it's doing is trying to raise the tension of what would happen if this goes wrong, which could be a war. So I, I, I get why they're juxtaposing against each other. Yeah, do you feel like they balance that out enough? Like you're getting somewhat ignorant opinions on both sides? I could get more ignorant, more ignorant <laughs> on the Americans, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> even with the Iranians, you see a lot of like people just burning things in the street and making some demands like the Americans did this and that. And honestly, they're probably more accurate on what they're saying than some of the American opinions of just like burn them all, shoot them all dead. I feel like we could have gotten a little more of that to help round out the issue as it was discussed in the countries a little bit, but it definitely just goes to the extremist positions. And I think we see that on both sides there. That's sort of the complaint about this entire movie, John. Everything is extremely tight, but nothing is deep. It's it's like an inch deep. I usually the saying is inch deep, you know. It's not a Chicago deep dish. Yeah, it's not, no, whatever the Boston. It's not. It's not a a deep deep it's cup a of crust. Clam chowder. Crust. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what I'm saying is, like, in order to move along at a high clip to make this tense, they cut out a bunch of stuff that made it nuanced. This movie is just A to D. And that's again, that's not a bad thing. That's the biggest criticism of this film. It's like you could have done a lot about the politics and all these other things, but it would have made it more serious. It made it less breezy. Probably doesn't really fit the absurdity of the story itself. Like I just can't stress how absurd this is. Who comes up with this idea? (laughs) (laughs) It worked, though. It worked. It did. Which is like the funny thing. It's like, I have this crazy idea. It's so crazy that no one will even think to check that they're actually Americans. Yeah. And then they put a lampshade on it. One of the main characters was like, this is the part where we say it's so crazy. It might just work. Yeah, that's what you got to do. <laughs> so Mendez, right? Affleck's character. He's a hero. I think this is interesting. Again, not a thing that they get too much into. But while he's out saving lives, his personal life and family life suffer a lot. So he's on the outs with his wife because he's not around as much as he should be. And he's like basically trying to salvage a relationship with his son who lives with his wife. He's not allowed to communicate what he's doing. Because he, like he does classified work. Is there a way for his family to understand what he's doing? No. <laughs> There's like a no-win situation for a lot of these people. Yeah. Do they even know he's working with CIA? If he's working with the CIA, he's like, I have important things to do. And you need to believe me that they're important. Or do you just lie to your family? You're like, I know people that are in some of these positions. I don't know what they do. But they do tell me that they they usually just say they're defense contractors or work for the Department of Defense. If someone tells you that, that usually means they work for the NSA, the CIA, or are some kind of government spook, and they can't tell you necessarily what they do. Uh, they can give you like vagarities of things. Like I have a friend who does this, and in describing his job to me, he's like, "Let's pretend I work in a pizza shop. You know, there's people who are getting the toppings prepared, people who are preparing dough." There are people who put the pizza together, people who deliver it, and there's people who manage the whole thing. He's like, I manage the whole thing. That makes sense. I have no idea what you're actually managing. It's like, that's as much as you, like he can say to me. <laughs> so going back to like sort of the question here is like, what would I personally do? I would just lie. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I'd be like, sorry, family. I, I got to go. I got an important job. And I would just <laughs> come up with a come up with probably a profession that I would really be happy with. Yeah, I'm a training conductor. (laughs) Got to get on the rails tonight, kids. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. 
could probably come up with a better cover story than that. It's the CIA. I feel like you don't necessarily need to lie to your pa- like your family. You can just tell them. I-, I think your first approach is probably the most realistic of like, look, I-, I work for the government. I do serious things. And like sometimes I'm abroad making those things happen. I can't tell you about it. And you'll just have to trust like I'm doing this because it matters for world security. <laughs> That's how it works, I guess. So if you had to make up a fake profession, John, to trick your, your family, what would you pick? You could be like, oh, I'm starting out on like the A-level disc golf circuit. So I got to travel <laughs> from town to town making a few hundred dollars at a time. And it's not popular ch- enough to end up on YouTube. I'm chasing my dreams of being a disc golfer. <laughs> I can't be home for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Who, who would even know? No one would know. You can even get more absurd. You can be like... I'm going to the world yo-yo event. <laughs> you can't lie too much because there's like a certain level where there's like a tipping point where you actually end up like on YouTube or something like that. So you got to be like, it's got to be like low level. This is perfect for truck drivers. I was, I was like kind of making fun of train drivers. Yeah, like, actually that, that it's perfect makes for truck more sense. Yeah. I got, I got a long haul. I got, I got some diapers to deliver. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say... When something is declassified in 10 or 15 years, you learn that a relative has clandestinely been saving the world. How would you react to that? <laughs> I wouldn't believe it. The truck driver uncle or something. You're the like, truck driver uncle? You're like, what? Oh you're fucking James Bond? Oh, my God. I'd freak, I don't know. I'd freak out. Like, why didn't you tell us? Uh, it was classified. That's the reaction. Like, what other reaction do you have? Like, you immediately pester them, right? Tell me everything. And you want to know it yeah. all. Probably change your opinion of your truck driving uncle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, we're going to go celebrate your awards you got 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's time to go to Benihana's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I went to a Benihana not long ago. And uh, I don't recommend it. <laughs> I haven't been in years and years and years. It's I, expensive. Maybe $150 for two of us with maybe two drinks each. And I was like, that price is insane for what we're getting. <laughs> well i'm glad you you know you you tried it right you branched out it's not uh, that i even disliked it i just thought the price was two maybe even three times more than what we should have paid okay we're, we're going to take a tangent here what well-recognized restaurant sit down restaurant i guess that's what i'm getting asked what's your favorite one right okay um, uh all right so here's here's a funny story so i had some customers come in from another country. The first thing they did when they got here is they went to the Cheesecake Factory. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Whatever. Two days later, I was going to go out to dinner with them. One of them's like, oh, I like fancy dining. Like, you know, fine dining's my thing. I make a reservation at a, a Michelin star restaurant. This person's also a vegetarian. I'm like, great. This place has good vegetarian options. I'm like telling him about this. Uh, He goes, actually, can we just go to Cheesecake Factory again? (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, long story short, go to the Cheesecake Factory. I actually like my meal. I do not like the cheesecake, though. The cheesecake, not good. It is not good cheesecake. Um, So you're saying your number one restaurant is Cheesecake? Cheesecake Factory? Factory? No, I don't know. I'm just saying like it's one that I never would have considered actually found the food to be good like i had some tacos there they were very good i i think maybe we knock some of these restaurants sometimes because they are chains but the chain restaurants are usually fine they're a chain restaurant because they do it well like well enough that it's consistent and most people like it yeah but what's yours john 
My go-to chain, probably yeah. McDonald's. Like if McDonald's. I was just okay. on the road or whatever, I'd probably stop at McDonald's. Like if I'm on a road trip or if I don't feel like doing anything and I'm going to pop out to fast food. Like, yeah. Yeah. What about you? I I probably get Chipotle once a month. I really like Chipotle. But if we're talking about like fast casual sit-down restaurants, uh, I really want to go to Olive Garden. I like Olive Garden. <laughs> They got rid of their unlimited salad and breadsticks. Just because of COVID, put that out there. Uh, I don't know if it's COVID. Probably rising prices, but that happened not too long ago. It was in the news. Oh, they're, <laughs> lay, they're laying off their breadsticks. Oh man, <laughs> how do you feel about it now? I I'm broken inside. <laughs> That's all I want. I want soup, salad, and breadsticks. Now, what am I going to do? I don't want to go there now. You'll have to order one of each. No, no, in this economy. <laughs> That that's what you would do. I don't I don't know if like I have a chain. There's another one. <laughs> I think I was at home. My dad's like, Hey, do you want to go to Ruby Tuesday? And I'm like, Hell yeah, you do. Ruby Tuesdays is great. Again, meal was, was totally good. You know, like I, I had a meal, like I liked it. I would go back. Yeah, Ruby Tuesday salad bar, awesome. Best salad yeah, bar. Yeah, I around. think that's what I had. Yeah. <laughs> wow, we're we're really far off on the okay, on a tangent. So, so bringing it back, Dave, what did you like about the movie Argo? Yeah, I think we touched on this a lot. It's a really tense script. Uh, the editing is very strong. Pacing is very good. The acting's fine. Okay, Alan Arkin is great. Ben Affleck is... He's just sort of Ben Affleck, right? <laughs> it's fine. I mean, he, he yeah. plays his role, I think, the way he should. That's really about it. I guess the music's really good. Uh, it just It just feels like a movie where there's like, not a lot of things to stand out um, to, just to give you like an idea of how I'm feeling about this film. I watched it four hours ago and I'm already struggling to recall things of it because it's just, it's, it's so popcorny and, and you know, it's just not going to stick with me in the long term. As it goes in terms of Oscar best picture winners, it's probably one that people will forget about. If you haven't seen it, I'd probably tell you you should watch it. I I think they do some of the camera work really well, and that gets back into setting the scenes of the different locations to create tension. So when you're in the embassy and it's getting stormed, there's lots of quick cuts and little vignettes of like what's happening and things on fire and a lot of shouting. It feels very frenzied. But then when you're in other places, it doesn't do that. Like it creates more of a sense of calm. So I think there's like a lot of little things like that that are done in the movie to create that tension, like very intentionally. It was Ben Affleck style. And I think he did that really well. So I, I would say his camera work was good. Uh, I do think the music, which was up for an Oscar, helped enhance the tension quite a bit. So I, I think they did that really well too. Glossed over this a little bit, but it's a simple but effective plot. We're on the same page with that. It, it's really difficult to say much more than it. Like it's an incredibly effective movie for what it's trying to do you know what i mean yeah do you have any other guesses or are there any moments that you're waiting for it to be declassified so we can learn about some crazy additional story for this one or just in uh, general like general, in I, that's that's such a hard question to answer especially knowing that they made a fake they made a fake movie can you go higher than that they could get more absurd I'm waiting for like some of the Trump 
era things to become declassified, like just the dumb shit that he did as a president visiting places or whatever, I think will be really funny. In a sad way. <laughs> like, Damn, this is a president. Ooh, yeah. his li- he was wearing lifts? <laughs> if you're talking about ex- exfiltrating people from situations, you-, you just have to go more absurd, right? So like instead of making a sci-fi movie, it's like, we're making a soap opera. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. I really can't think of anything crazy. <laughs> Traveling circus, jamming a bunch of clowns in a car to escape. <laughs> Having them join a traveling professional team and then actually having them have to go out there and do it. Like learn how to play. Yeah, like a traveling ping pong team. That That's actually pretty funny. We're bringing baseball to your country. And then <laughs> they put them out there like, okay, I guess you're right field. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. That was, yeah. Oh, man. Um, let's see. So why... Do you think this movie won? I think we touched on some of that, but anything that we haven't talked about so far? Yeah, so I have a list of things that contributed to it. Because again, it's not just one thing. So again, it's Ben Affleck's sympathy. He's really really well liked in Hollywood. Um, And remember, he just had like a terrible run of movies. In 2003 alone, he did Daredevil, Geely, and Payback. And then in 2004, he did Jersey Girl. (laughs) So like, he just tanked his career with all those and Hollywood loves a comeback story. So again, he reinvented himself in a very effective way. And that's a good narrative. He was also snubbed. So like he didn't get a nom for best director and people really thought he, he should have. And I think some people will make the argument that because he didn't get nominated for best director, the Academy gave him best picture as sort of a, a consolation prize, which is, I guess a better prize in my opinion, but, and then this is more general. The competition this year was really close. I, I really don't think there was one movie that was significantly stronger. What do you, what's your thoughts on that one, John? Uh, on like what film film could like, have displaced it, this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Yeah. It, everything was equal. Like personally, I would have really liked life of pie to win. Like that's a movie I thought was really great, but like I would have had no problem with with basically any of the other movies. I think Zero Dark Thirty is the one I like like the least, but I recognize it's a good movie. But what I'm getting at here in the long run is, John, is like when there's equal competition, sort of the movie that's most liked, not necessarily the best movie, will typically win the best picture thing. So so in this case, it's like, okay, everyone likes Argo. There's fighting among everything else, so Argo wins. And then the final point I would have Argo is just a really great thriller. It is. There's no no denying that it does what it does extremely well, and you can lot it for that. Yeah, I mean, I would agree on everything you said there. So, again, good script, tension, acting, period design was a thing in there. And then we've talked about this before, but Hollywood likes Hollywood stories. And this yeah. one is yeah. about Hollywood using film production to rescue people in Iran. That's that extra little nudge that pushes it over the top, in my opinion. Can you imagine being the producer walking it or the, the screenwriter handing this to the producer or something? I mean, like, hey, I got this story for you. And the studio is just like, green lighting, put it in, put it in tomorrow. This is so good. Why didn't we think of this sooner? <laughs> Make us look even better. <laughs> On the other side of that, what critique do you have? I think 
No, go ahead. Tell us what what's your critique here. I mean, my my just biggest critique is the the actual hostages, and even Tony to some extent. Like you just don't get them right. Like they are not well developed characters. They just almost feel like background characters that are mechanically moving from place to place. It's not to say there's aren't a couple scenes, but they're not enough of those scenes. So like I just had no connection with them, and I also had no connection with with tony in it either right like, i'm like okay so you have a kid and you have no real moral quandary here you're going to do everything you say you're going to do yeah i guess there's some moments of decision here but you kind of know like he's gonna do it yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's not on solo who might leave you <laughs> you know where the movie's going immediately from the start we touched on this they didn't give you all the facts so things were dramatized and it makes sense for a movie you know they're dramatized in a way that makes the the story more entertaining and more enrapturing for us you know they could have maybe added a little bit more and I, i think they actually tried to so at the end of the movie after hearing that the canadians were like you guys totally cut the canadians out of this film i think ben affleck went at and added some of those story summaries at the end to help assuage some of the Canadian feelings about being snuffed from the film. Yeah. I really do like Ken Taylor, the the character. And I, I almost want to wish, wish I saw it from his point of view. You can watch the Canadian version. <laughs> you, you did a great job selling that. Let me tell you, watch this grainy version on YouTube. <laughs> I do have a question about this. Does the director, does the studio, does the screenwriter, have an obligation to try to show things exactly how they were or is there, or should they be really looking to entertain people? I think as long as they don't go on record as saying this is like a factually accurate movie, that that is fine. I don't think we want to get too crazy and really like remove all the truth from the story. They'll always say based on real events or whatever, but maybe we should make it more clear that that means like heavily, edited and reorganized for entertainment purposes is what that really means. And if people understand that, maybe then that's better because I wonder if this creates some confusion as to what really happened. I mean, I think it did. I think it 100% did. And in this film, I was just thinking about it because I was like, based on it's somewhat accurate because, you know, this film does get hostages out (laughs) of Iran. Is it really more of an inspired by? And that also felt too far away. So I don't have a good answer for that. But generally, I think directors have an obligation to try to tell as much truth. And this one, in this film, I'm like, you're definitely working towards it. But maybe it's not as factually accurate as it could have been. It's heavily dramatized. And people should know that. That's our discussion for like our thoughts. But guess what, John? I asked the internet <laughs> what Uh-oh. they wanted us to talk about. And as usual, they did not disappoint Thank you, Internet Freaks. So one is, what are your thoughts on Bat- uh, Ben Affleck's Batman? I'm fine with it. Yeah, I like it. You know, I, I actually thought Robert Pattinson's Batman may be more exciting. Yeah, that movie's fine. Um, I mean, I'm I'm always going to be a Batman 89 stand. So Michael Keaton. Is Ben Affleck a good actor? That's a, that's a really good question. <laughs> I mean, he's not a bad actor. Sometimes? Like, like he has a lot of movies, right? And he's gotten better every movie he's done. So, like, you can look at some of his earlier stuff and just be like, what you doing, Ben? <laughs> but, like, Gone Girl? He's great in Gone Girl. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I think he's probably one of the better actors. There's a lot of bad actors. He's probably not in that category. Yeah, he's on the top end. Yeah. 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 And he also does cool stuff. You know, he had that, was it Project Greenlight with him and Matt Damon where they were put they had the competition to put out films. Like that's a, that was a really cool series. I think there was uh, some scandal around that, just to be know. clear. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, Ben Affleck or Matt Damon? You have to choose. I have to choose. Yeah. Do you want? Do you want to like make this more specific? Like Ben Affleck or Matt Damon? You have to take them to Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, um, I bet Ben Affleck's more fun at Cheesecake Factory than Matt Damon. One hundred percent. Yeah, I like Matt Damon a lot, but Ben Affleck seems like a guy who's very charismatic. He would say something like, thanks for spoiling me <laughs> to the waitress. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like he would actually maybe have fun at a Cheesecake Factory and probably cool. have good stories to share. Matt Damon, too serious. This is one that I had to look up, but is Ben Affleck's back tattoo real? Yes. No. It's a giant. It is. It's real. I don't think it's real. No, it's real. So he lied about it. He lied saying it wasn't real. And then he was like, it is. And I'm sorry I lied. I lied because I felt that the paparazzi was being invasive and I just sort of reacted in the moment. It's real. He has a giant phoenix that takes up his whole back. What? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I looked that up and then I got the other story. I mean, we had the time. You want to look it up and try it? You, you want to look it up and see? That's a very big tattoo. I mean, you know people with tattoos that, that big. Yeah, but they're not Ben Affleck. <laughs> I mean, he wears shirts. It's not like, he, they, like they're going to. All right. This is from people from February 18th, okay. 2002. I see. Yeah. Cosmopolitan here. Yeah. Ben Affleck explains why he lied about his back tattoo. Yeah. All right. Weird. Okay. Whatever. I'm not saying it's not weird. It's weird. You know, <laughs> I just thought it was not real because it seems. <laughs> it seems absurd. Yeah, it is absurd. It, it does seem absurd. Okay. But good for him. Right. Yeah. Who's more famous, Ben Affleck or J-Lo? That's an easy one. Probably Ben Affleck. I would go J-Lo. J-Lo hasn't been part of anything for probably 15 years, right? That's, like, where that's she, not where true. She she's, act, she's acting. Name three J-Lo movies from the past 15 years. He was in the stripper movie. That was pretty awesome, actually. When did that come out? 2019. Hustlers? Yeah. I'm, I'm just looking... There's a pretty big gap for her in movies, it looks like. Yeah. Well, she was awesome in Hustlers. I really like that movie. Okay. One that I... Do you like 70s fashion? Sure. <laughs> like, I do. I like white collars. I don't know. I don't think I'm a fan of mustaches, but yeah, sure. Do I like 70s fashion? Yeah, not really. <laughs> do you don't like beige and brown? <laughs> it's or, like orange. Burnt orange? And brown. Yeah. Not really my thing. It felt more interesting, at least. They were trying something. Yeah. <laughs> and then, have you ever eaten a Chinese food out of a box container? And this is Probably. referring to, like, every single movie when they're like, we need to show someone who's a slob or working late, give them Chinese food. You know, why don't they ever give them something more interesting? Or at least something different. I would just set up for different. I want to toss this out here. Since grade school, maybe, when was the last time you've actually had Chinese food delivered to your house? Oh, like within the last two months. I feel like I haven't had American style Chinese food in 15 years. Well, you're missing out first off. <laughs> Second off, go do that. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not against it, 
But if I am going to do like Asian food, it tends to be like Thai food or something. Oh, yeah. I love Thai food. I mean, I, I celebrate all foods. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And this is the last one. Was Ben Affleck right for this role? Uh, I actually cheated and put this one on. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, the, what what would make you say he wasn't? This is this is going to be a dumb argument. Let's all agree that Ben Affleck is like six two or six three, kind of jacked. He's a handsome ass man. Uh huh. The CIA is going to send this giant handsome ass man to be undercover and not blend in because he doesn't blend in anywhere. <laughs> pulled me out a little bit i was just like ben affleck huh (laughs) maybe like he doesn't quite fit this role (laughs) but he's good in it you know finally john winner or wiener i think it's a winner it's kind of an unbelievable story it keeps your attention i would say for most of the film i didn't have too many moments where i was like man is this movie dragon or what i'd probably recommend it to other people uh what's your take yeah i recommend it too It's, it's definitely a winner I think almost every movie this year is a winner in the in the, the Oscars race. Like, go check it out. Apparently, don't check out Les Mis. Don't. <laughs> don't. Um, okay, so Dave, the moment you've been waiting for. What's your porn name? What's your porn Argo, fuck yourself. Argo, fuck yourself. <laughs> we didn't talk about this, but that's like a catchphrase that the people who are putting on this fake production company start using to refer to the film. I don't know if that's real. I would be curious to know if that is. What would you? What's your? What's your porn name? Are going to come? <laughs> is it a pirate? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. <laughs> so up next, I think we're going to do the Great Siegfried, which is from the 1930s. I don't remember what year. I think it's the oldest movie we haven't done yet so we've done most of the movies from the we've done all the movies from the 1920s and i think we're closing in on the end of the 1930s i think the other one we haven't done from the 1930s is gone with the wind it is yeah two movies left from that decade uh we can close that chapter out in award wieners history here i'm kind of glad to be out of that time frame because quite honestly a lot of those early films they're still figuring out what cinema is about look like all quiet on the western front Pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. Wings. I like wings. And then it's just like, I don't want to watch any more of these movies. I mean, is that, un- is that unfair to you? How Green is My Valley? Like, we ended up liking that movie. No, no, we like that movie. I, I think there were a couple of movies that just didn't work out as well as, like, in retrospect. Like, the humor isn't funny. They bounce around a lot. It was, like, basically two movies about families over, you know, a hundred year period of time. And, like, they just weren't that interesting. Yeah. Cavalcade. Broadway Melody, uh, Cimarron. <laughs> like all of these were like, these are brutal. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're getting out of that. And I'm hoping, I don't know if there's any like real stinkers left on the list here. I think we're getting into like quality movies from here on out. I don't know if that's true, but I think so. Yeah. I, I kind of think they're the majority of them are at least good. Uh, if like at the very least, they're going to be mediocre, which is like, I'll watch a mediocre movie, but no straight up stinkers. <laughs> I'm hoping that's the case from here on out. So thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in, Dave. How can people get a hold of us if they would like to? Yeah, well, you've got to take your phone or take your radio and take it apart so it becomes a, <laughs> a decoding device. Uh, and then you can call us literally on our, our, our phones. <laughs> uh, 
email us at david at awardweeners.com or john at awardweeners.com. We have award wieners at basically every social media. Just pick one and we'll get it. <laughs> That's right. And we'll try to get back to you if you have questions or want us to talk about. And when we do Gone with the Wind, let us know. Um, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Hopefully, no more two or three month gaps. Um, have a good one. Thanks for sticking with us. Argo, fuck Ar- yourself. <laughs> <laughs>